Amen. Thank you, Larry. Good morning, folks. Hey, welcome to Grace. If you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you grab them at this point in time, and you can turn with me to the book of Colossians. We will begin in Colossians chapter 3 this morning as we continue on in our sermon series, The Power of Praise. This morning, looking at the pattern of praise. We will begin again in Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll be in various texts. Well, as you're flipping to uh, Colossians chapter 3, I want to get you caught up as to where we have been and where we are going. In part one of our sermon series, The People of Praise, we saw that God's people have been and always will be characterized by congregational singing. In parts 2, 3, and 4, we saw three purposes of praise. We sing congregationally to praise his name, to proclaim his truth, and to pray to his ear. Then in part five, the practice of praise, we saw several characteristics of congregational worship, namely that our worship is supernatural, it's instructive, it's corporate, it's emotional, and it's God-centered. Well, today in part six of our sermon series, The Pattern of Praise, we will take a look at both what we should be singing about and what types of songs we should be singing. So what we should be singing about, the content of our songs, and the what types of songs we should be singing. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we pray for your blessings on the preaching and hearing and living out of your word. We pray that your spirit would be um, alive and well in this place, in our hearts and in our minds, through my lips, speaking the truth of your word with clarity and power. Father, may we receive it and may we be changed by it for your glory Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. In his name we pray, and God's people said, amen. You know, I want to begin by by reading a a short excerpt. And it's an excerpt of an opinion piece that you will often see in various newspapers across the country, right? People write in with their opinion uh, in in a local newspaper. I'd like to begin with a short excerpt uh, of of an opinion piece that was written in a U.S. newspaper. Now, the content of that little opinion piece was, uh, was a man objecting to what he saw to be new trends in church music. Objections to new trends in church music. Um, I think it's on the screen behind me. If not, you can follow along. He wrote this. He said, there are several reasons for opposing it. Number one, he says, it's too new. Number two, it's often worldly and even blasphemous. He says, the new Christian music is, is simply not as pleasant as the more established style. He says, because there are so many songs, you can't learn them all. And not only that, he says, it it puts too much emphasis on instrumental music rather than godly lyrics. He says, the new music creates disturbances. It, It makes people act indecently and even disorderly. He says, the preceding generation got along without it just fine. He says, it's, it's simply just a money-making scene. And some of these new music upstarts, well, they're simply lewd and loose. Some pretty harsh words, is it not? You know, what's interesting to me is that this kind of sounds like something that you would anticipate maybe reading in your local newspaper today, right? You could, you could read this in your local newspaper and say, boy, that... You know, somebody might have written that about the music that we sing uh, today in, in our churches, right? Well, what's interesting is that this was not written in uh, 2016. In fact, this piece was written way back in 1723. Isn't that interesting? This little excerpt 
was taken from a 1723 local newspaper. And it was written by none other than a local pastor himself. And this local pastor, in context, was uh, writing about one man by the name of Isaac Watts. There he is behind me. Now, you may be familiar with Isaac Watts because of some of the uh, great hymns that are in our hymn book that we still sing today. So he he wrote some of the quote-unquote classic hymns like, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He wrote the Christmas tune, Joy to the World, right? We sing it every Christmas. You may be familiar with uh, this one, Oh God, our help in ages past. Well, isn't that just interesting? It seems to me, then, that throughout the history of the American Christian church, that we have had trouble agreeing over music, specifically over the content of the songs that we sing, and then the type of music that we sing about. Friends, the quote-unquote worship wars, it's not a new thing. It's been happening for several hundred years. So here's the question before us today. Does Scripture speak to these twin battlefields, which have been in the middle of our worship wars for centuries, That is, the content of what we sing about, and then the type of songs that we sing. Specifically, songs that are older and familiar, and songs that are newer and need to be learned. Does the scripture speak to the so-called worship wars? And the answer to that is, I believe, yes. Yes, it does. So today, we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about, first of all, what we should sing about, and then second of all, what types of songs then should we be singing, whether they are older and familiar and newer and need to be learned. Let's dive in as we take a look at Colossians chapter 3, answering the first question for us this morning. What should we sing about? I want to, first of all, take a look at the New Testament epistles. Specifically, we see Paul's writing here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, but we also see a parallel verse in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, They're very similar, so we'll just take a look at Colossians chapter 3. We've seen this verse before, right? We've mined its depths before, and we'll begin with it today. Both in Colossians chapter 3 and in the parallel verse, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us an interesting three, uh, three-term sequence to help us, I think, see the diversity that we can have in what we sing about as a local congregation. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 16. He says, With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, and here, are our terms. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here Paul gives us three terms that I think shows us the diversity that we can have in what we sing about as a Christian church. First of all, he says that we can sing about what he calls psalms. And that's most likely exactly exactly what you think it is. The psalms that we get, all 150 of them, that we see in the book of Psalms. So Paul begins with saying, uh, Christian church, you can sing the scriptures. You can sing the Bible directly. Specifically, you can sing the songs of the psalms that were divinely inspired songs to be sung. So he said, first of all, we can sing the psalms together. But, but not only that, 
teaching and admonishing one another with psalms. And then the second category he introduces, he calls hymns. Hymns. Now, if you do your research, you find out that this refers in the Old Testament and most likely in the New to songs which specifically have content that praises the Lord. So these hymns that he's referring to are songs that are directly in praise to God for who he is, his character, his attributes, but not only that, but what he has done for me and for you. So he says, sing psalms and sing hymns of praise to the Lord. But he gives us a third category. Psalms and hymns. And then he says, uh, sing sing spiritual songs, my translation says. Your translation may say something to the effect of songs of the Spirit. uh, That is capital S, uh, Holy Spirit. This most likely is a catch-all term. It's kind of a a junk drawer term that has lots of uh, types of songs that could fit into it. It's a catch-all term for spirit-inspired songs. So here's a simple observation I want to point out as it helps us address the question, what should we sing about in our songs? Notice the, the progression here. Right There's a progression in these terms. First of all, Paul moves from that which is very specific and that which is very limited, right? Seeing the Psalms, right? Seeing the Scripture, it's very specific and it's very limited. But next, he says we can also sing hymns. He moves from that which is very specific and limited to that which is less specific and less limited. Songs of praise to the Lord. But then, notice the third term. He ends with a term that is very nonspecific, and that is very open-ended. Interesting. Here's the point that I think Paul is trying to make. The epistles here give us an array of options of what we can sing about, as long as it is based in Scripture and not opposed to Scripture. One commentator says this about this three, uh, the string of three words. Paul says, uh, this Paul's, Paul's three words uh, to describe singing here, mainly, he says, show us that there should be a variety in our worship. A variety in our worship. So what we see in a short and simple glance in the Psalms is that Paul introduces three terms that give us a, a host of options as to what we can sing about. There is a variety in Christian singing. But I think we see this in the book of Psalms themselves. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to quickly give you an overview about the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms affirms this diversity that Paul introduces in Ephesians and Colossians. The diversity in the subject matter in these divinely inspired songs of the Psalms, I think, affirm what we have seen in the epistles. Uh, in the epistles. So when you look at the types of psalms and what the psalmists sing to the Lord about, they sing to the Lord about a whole host of things, right? If you've read through the psalms, you quickly realize that they're not all the same. In the subject matter of the psalms, really, uh, they, they change. There's, there's a diversity in them. So, for instance, we get uh, psalms that are known as the psalms of praise, where God is praised for a whole host of things. In Psalms of Praise, God is praised because he's the creator and sustainer of the world. He's praised because he is everywhere present. He's praised because he's the Lord and ruler of all the world. And he's praised because of his work amongst his people. 
Yes, there are psalms of praise, but there are also psalms of, of thanksgiving where the psalmist sings a song to the Lord because the Lord has delivered him from some specific trouble. He's ill, he's sick, he's hurt, somebody wants to hurt him, and God has delivered him, and so he sings a psalm specifically saying, God, thank you for what you've done for me. There are also psalms of lament. You are probably familiar with psalms of lament when you start reading them, because the psalmist gets right at it. It's raw, right? It has rough edges. The, 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 the psalmist in these psalms doesn't hold back. He tells God how he feels and what's going on, He says, God, deliver me from this. And he always goes back to having confidence in God. God, I'm in this mess, but I trust you will be involved in the middle of it. Yes, there are psalms of sadness. There are also psalms of of wisdom in which the psalmist seeks to instruct his fellow Israelites about godly living. There are psalms of Torah where the psalmist wants to teach us about the very word, law, and precepts of God. So here's the point. Just as in the epistles, the Psalms themselves, these, let's remember, divinely inspired songs, right? They are examples to us. And in the Psalms, we see a wide range of lyrics, do we not? The psalmists sing about a whole host of things. And it gives us license to do the same. So here's our first implication slash application for today. And it's very simple. Friends, we need to sing songs with a variety both of lyrics and of melodies. That is the actual music. We need a diversity. A local church needs diversity and variety in its singing. So we need music with all sorts of themes, with all sorts of rhythms, with all sorts of volumes, and with all sorts of speeds. We need to sing songs that are upbeat, Songs that are full of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord, like, this is amazing grace, or glory to God forever. But we also need songs that are more quiet, that are more reflective, that are full of deep theology and instruction. So I think of the great hymn, Holy, 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 or the new modern hymn from the Gettys, In Christ Alone, chalk full of reflective theology. We need quiet songs. We need slower songs. We need, at times, somber songs of, of grief in our suffering. I think of the great hymn, It is well with my soul. We need songs like that. We need songs like, Blessed be your name, that praise the Lord, particularly in bad times. We also need to sing songs of confession, songs of repentance, Songs like the old hymn, Come Ye Sinners, right? Poor and needy. We need songs like the one just we sung this morning, Lord, I need you, where we confess our need for the Lord. John Piper, I think, gives us the reason why God gives us such a variety of both lyrics and melodies. He hits it right on the head. Follow me uh, on the screen behind me. He says, now there is a reason for different kinds of music. The main reason is that God is infinitely varied in his beauty and as he relates to us in profoundly and wonderfully different ways. If you experience God in the death of your four daughters in your wife, in the sinking of a ship, you may write 
it is well with my soul. He says, if you are overwhelmed with the truth of the incarnation at Christmas time, you might write and sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. If, if God meets you simply and quietly in your prayer closet, you may write and sing to him, Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. And he writes, if you are stunned at the marvel that, that you, that you are saved, you may write and sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. So, friends, what shall we sing about in our local church? Well, we should sing songs that speak biblical truth, as one pastor said, for every season of the soul. Biblical songs with biblical truth for every season of our soul. There's a variety that should be had in our singing. But let's move then to our second question. We've addressed, I think, from the Bible what we should sing about. But let's take a look at our second question then. It's this. Not only should we think about what the lyrics should, should be in our songs, what we should sing about, but what types of songs shall we sing? And by that I mean in particular, should we sing only songs that are, quote, older or familiar Or should we sing only songs that are, quote, newer and maybe less familiar? Or should there be both? Well, I think that we'll see from the Scripture that both are warranted from the Scriptures. Let's begin with older songs. It's fascinating to me. I began to look at the examples that we have of singing in the Scripture. And there are at least four. There are probably more, but I saw four really clear examples where God's people in the Scripture sang previously established or written songs. That is, older songs, familiar songs. And let me just go through them rather quickly. The first one comes from Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. There we see King Jehoshaphat, and he's leading uh, God's people out to battle. There was a threat against them. Uh, Jehoshaphat came to the Lord in prayer, sought the Lord's help. The Lord promised deliverance. And so what does King Jehoshaphat do? Interestingly enough, uh, he doesn't send the warriors out to to, to lead the army. No, he sings the singers to go in the front of God's people to battle because he trusts that the Lord's promise is good. So let's read what happens in verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. And here's what they're singing. Notice, saying this, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now let me ask you a question. Where did that lyric come from? Did they just make it up? No, they didn't. This was a, a part of a song that was familiar. It was an old song. It came from one of three places. It, the singers sang this line, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. It could have been uh, David's song uh, back in First Chronicles chapter 16 when, uh, when he's returning the ark of the Lord back to Jerusalem. And David, if you recall from the text, he sings a song and he's dancing before the Lord. And, and do you know what he says in part? He says something very familiar to this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So here's one example 
of God's people singing an old song, a familiar song. The second example that we see also comes from the time of the kings. King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah at the restoration of temple worship under his reign. So the king that came before King Hezekiah was evil and bad, and he shut down the temple and the the worship of the Lord. King Hezekiah comes to rule, and he has a heart after God. And so he restores the temple, and he restores worship to its proper place. And what we see there is that he had Levites come and sing some of the Psalms, specifically those from David, and those from a man named Asaph. Take a look at verse 30. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord. Now, notice, what what did they sing? To praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. Those are psalms that are being referred to. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshiped. A second example of the people of God taking a familiar song and singing it afresh to the Lord. A third example comes from none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. We see a couple examples of this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, and in Mark chapter 14, verse 26, we see that on the night of Passover, on the night of his betrayal, that Jesus is said to have sung with his disciples, quote, a hymn. A hymn. Let's take a look at Matthew 26, verse 30. The text says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, it's easy for us just to pass over this, but here we get a third example of Jesus and his disciples singing a song that would have been very familiar to them. We know that they most likely sang uh, either all or a portion of Psalms 114 to 118 because during the Passover, the, the Jews traditionally sang these songs. And so here we have Jesus himself singing songs that are familiar. A fourth example that's fascinating to me is found in the book of Revelation. You can turn there if you'd like. Revelation chapter 15. There in Revelation chapter 15, we get a heavenly scene. This fourth example comes from Revelation 15, where we're told that there's a group of, of martyrs, of Christian martyrs, and they have come from the tribulation period, and they're singing songs of praise to the Lord. They're in Revelation 15. Notice verse 3 specifically. And they sang the song of God's servant, Moses, and of the Lamb. So here we see tribulation martyrs in the future singing two songs, right? The first is called the Song of Moses. This most likely refers to the song that Moses sang in Exodus chapter 15 when uh, Israel crossed the Red Sea and God gave a great deliverance from the nation of Egypt. Or it could be the song that he sang in Deuteronomy 32 during his farewell address. We don't know specifically what the Song of Moses is. It's most likely one of those two places. They also sang the Song of the Lamb, with which if you keep reading in chapter 15, you get the song that they sing. It's the Song of the Lamb. It's identified. But it's, it's interesting, right? They, they sing these tribulation martyrs sometime in the future, they are going to sing a song written by Moses thousands of years earlier. It's fascinating. I think the point in these texts is very clear. 
we have biblical examples of God's people singing, quote, old or familiar songs. We should follow their example. I love what one commentator, author, by the name of Mathis, says about, quote, old songs. He says this, We all love old music. Whether it's centuries old or even just a few months, the tunes we most enjoy, enjoy most, are unavoidably the ones we already know. And there's no getting around it. Music has a strange power to capture thoughts and feelings from the past, recent or long ago, and send them streaming into our present at the sound of just a few bars. It's a common experience, he says, to find yourself moved by some old song that you've sung for years. And if it's a Christian hymn or or worship chorus, you might feel freshly connected to God's amazing faithfulness, not just through the ages, but in your particular life. So we have examples of Christians, God's people singing old songs. Let's then transition into some examples and commands of God's people singing new songs, unfamiliar songs. See, just as we saw in our very first sermon series, I'm sure you all remember it uh, just like it was yesterday, but we saw every example in the scripture of God's people singing a song to him, and several